Communicating with parents can be one of the most dreadful parts of teaching. Today, I go over three things to keep in mind before you send off that email. Welcome to Becoming a Mindful Teacher. This is a podcast for educators who want to improve the lives of children by digging deep into the minds of their students and themselves in order to create a space where it is safe to learn. My name is Winter and I am passionate about helping children break through their mental junk in order to become successful little humans. Join me on this journey each week as we delve into the many ways that we can help our students succeed no matter what difficult situations they've experienced. Let's get started. Hello, my friends. Welcome back. We are, at least I am, in the throes of back to school. I don't know about you, but I have hit that teacher tired. I've been sleeping the best I have ever slept all summer. It has been fantastic. And I hope that you are getting that great sleep that I am because the days are intense, but the sleep is good. So I'm glad to have you. Today, I wanted to talk about parent communication because, you know, all summer, I didn't talk to many people. I was home and relaxing, but now that we're back into school, there is just so much going on. And I've recognized that one of those things is getting to talk to parents again. And while at least in my district, we aren't allowing parents yet to come in, I'm still communicating with them a lot through email and through phone. And so I thought that that would be a good topic to go over. And it brought me back to thinking about when I was an interventionist in my previous district. And as this interventionist, I was that person that had to call parents and tell them that we had decided as a school team that it would probably be better if we continued on in the testing process and went along to figure out if we needed testing to see if their child had a learning disability. And I just bet you can imagine like having to call a parent and tell them that, hey, you know, we think there might be something else going on and we may end up slapping this label of a learning disability on your child. That is not a fun phone call to make at all going into it. And I'm already, you know, growing up with anxiety my entire life, like, hey, you're about to give bad news, what I imagine bad news to this parent. And so many scenarios run through my brain. And they came to fruition as well. Like you call these parents and they could react in pure anger. Like they're angry at me because I'm the one telling them that their child isn't growing at the speed that we want them to grow in. And so it's my fault. And so they're very angry with me and they're giving me anger. Or i have definitely made a few parents cry. And that was never my intention. I, you know, they take that as they failed. And as a parent, they failed their child, they did something wrong, they missed something. And now I'm the one breaking the news to them like, hey, you screwed up your child. And now we have to do something to fix it. And that's not cool either. Like, I never want to make them cry. But and I'm and I don't want to say that it never goes well. There's a few parents that are super grateful when I made that phone call. They're like, "Yes, like I've known something isn't working and and I'm so grateful that you guys are seeing it too and I'm glad that something's going to be done." So, there's just all of these different ways that parents can respond to our communication and you never know what you're going to get. But through that experience, there were three key like points I wanted to go over with you so that parent communication can be easier on you as a teacher. So the first thing I learned through these 
communications with the parent is that the parent sees their child as an extension of themselves. I don't know that they are aware of this, but everything that we say about their child, the parent takes extremely personally because it's as if you're talking about them. They are in charge of this child. They are the person who has them at home and their upbringing is going to make this child be an amazing, productive human. And if we come at them and start saying things negatively about their child, immediately it's as if we're saying it about them. And we know it's not, we're not saying that about them, but the truth is they take it extremely personally. So what I want you to do is use kind words. Like it sounds like an easy concept, but usually when we're contacting parents, I'd say, and this is, I'm no mathematician, but I feel like 80% of the time that we contact parents, it's because of a need or something that is going in a way that we don't want it to go. And we need to kind of rein it in and bring it back. And a lot of times that can be seen as negative. It doesn't mean that you can't do it with kind words. So what I want you to do is speak in the positive, using positive words rather than negative words. And one example of this is talking about the things the kid can do versus what they can't do. So say you are a kindergarten teacher and you have a parent and you're in a conference and you're reviewing your goals. And let's say that your student at this period in time should be able to count to 30. You don't want to present it as, hey, Sally can't count to 30. All you're doing is shouting at your parent, hey, your child failed at a task. Instead, what you can say is, Sally can count to 10. At this point, we would like for them to be able to count to 30. So we're going to continue working on that. And that's something that you could practice at home as well. Those are two very different ways to approach the situation. When sharing with the parent what the child can do versus what they can't do, then when they take that personally, they're hearing, okay, my child can do something. They are successful at something. It may not be the standard of what is wanted, but they can do something. If you start it with so-and-so can't do this, all they hear is I have failed. I can't, my child can't do it. Therefore I have failed because they can't do it. So you really want to go in the positive mindset versus the, that mindset of lack when communicating. Another way that you can ensure that your parent communication will end in a, a positive light, more successful, is that I want you to speak in fact and not emotion. And that's very hard because I think when we are contacting parents, we immediately are contacting them because we are, as teachers, emotional about a situation. And I'm thinking of those, you know, those emails where it's behavioral, you're fed up because we, I mean, let's be honest, we know we get fed up with certain children at certain times on certain topics and it happens. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It surely happens. But when we're communicating with the parent and we want it to be successful, we have a better chance of being successful if we are speaking in facts. So one thing you should never do unless you have data to back it up is use the words never or always because you're kind of exaggerating the situation. I need to find more words than Sally and Bob, but those are my go-to. Um, so say you're writing Sally's mom and 
you write and your email is like, hey, I'm really concerned about Sally. She never comes to class prepared. Do you have that data to back it up? Because by saying she never comes to class prepared, as you were saying, absolutely every day she doesn't have her things. And I just don't think that that's true. I don't think that you can guarantee a statement such as never. Also, same situation with the word always. Bob always gets in fights at recess. I can guarantee you there are days when he has a perfectly fine day at recess, but we allow our emotions to get the best of us and we're just so angry that we immediately shoot out these words and we make them absolutes. And they're not absolutes. It's just that we're just heated in the moment. So make sure that when you are communicating with the parents that we're not exaggerating the situation. We want to be factual. You can speak just about that day or maybe that week. You can say, you know, out of five days this week, Sally didn't have her materials three of those five days. The mom, dad, parent, grandma, whoever cannot fight that. If you know for a fact what happened and you speak in facts, you can't argue that. I mean, some people will try, but it's better when you are factual instead of exaggerating the situation. You also don't want to assume. I see assumptions come up a lot when teachers are discussing how students don't complete their homework. If you're communicating with a parent and it's about homework, I don't want you to throw in an assumption that you know why he's not doing this. Assumptions could include laziness, that they don't care about the work. I've even seen some teachers assume things like assume that a student didn't do the homework because the student hated the teacher. Oh, well, he just hates me. So he's just doing it despite me. We as teachers cannot assume anything. We are only with those students for, I say we're only with those students, but it's a long time, but we are not with them all of the hours of the day. We can't assume what goes on at home ever. And I've talked about that in some of my fewer episodes about trauma. We can't assume how the child's night went. It could have been horrendous in our mindset, but we don't know it. So we don't have that compassion for them because in our minds, we're assuming the worst is about us. So please don't in any communication with parent, make an assumption about what is going on. So we need to stick with those facts that we do know. And another thing I don't want us doing is blaming or shaming the student in any communication. It kind of goes along with being factual, but we can't place fault on any one person. When we communicate about it, we can just state the facts of the situation. This child did not complete their homework. We can't blame the parent. We can't blame the child. We can't blame the teacher. You know, the parents want to blame the teacher because, oh, they gave so much homework. That's ridiculous how much homework they give. I mean, the blame does go both ways, but we can't control. Again, previous episode, if you want to learn about control and what we can't control, you can head over to that one. But we can't control a situation. We can't control the parents. So we can't blame others, only speak factually. And the last thing about parent communication that I am sure you have heard from many people before, but it is absolutely true. And I am one who falls into this category and I know it, and I'm really trying to work on it is calling instead of emailing. It makes the biggest difference when you call a parent versus email them. Emails can be misread. And I know this personally, 
I've discussed this at my own therapy. <laughs> when I, I talked with my therapist about, you know, maybe some staff issues. So I'm having an issue with myself, but it includes another staff member. And I'm like, let me think of an email I had. An example could be, I got an email from a staff member and I walk into therapy and we're you know, discussing my emotions about it. And I'm so upset about it. And he goes, okay, well, what did the email say? And I pull it up on my phone and I'm reading it. And it's like, I didn't receive the papers that you wanted me to send home. So I need those if I'm going to send them home. And he makes me stop and he goes, okay, is that how she wrote it? And I'm like, absolutely. I know her. I know that's how she wrote it. And he goes, okay, I need you to read that in a monotone voice. And I'm like, okay. So I read the email in a monotone voice and I'm like, I didn't receive the papers that you wanted me to send home. I'm going to need those if I am to send them home. And he's like, do you see how that is very different than what you just read? And I groan, of course. But we as humans add emotion into emails that are possibly never there. Because for all I know is she was laughing when she sent it. And she could have been like, in her mind, she's like, I didn't receive those papers. If you could get them to me, I'll send them home. It could be the same words that can be read in three different manners, happy, angry, and completely just monotone. So emails can surely be misread. I am definitely someone who falls into that category that has misread emails before. Oh, also, I'm also one of those people that will add emojis just so people know I'm not angry. Please tell me there are other people out there that do that. Like the smiley emoji, the laughing emoji, because I fear that whatever I wrote would look angry if I didn't throw that little emoji in there. I know there's other people out there that do that just like I do. But anyway, that's if you have to email. But what I want you to do is calling makes such a difference. If you call a parent, you immediately know, you can hear the emotion in their voice. So you know if they're angry or happy or just calm. But also if there's any misinterpretation of information, it can immediately be addressed at that moment. I've had situations and I've worked with staff in situations where the teacher sends an email on Friday afternoon. It's a harmless email, had no ill intent whatsoever. That parent had a whole weekend of stewing over that email, was angry, um, you know, talked to other people. It just got riled up and like very angry about a situation that didn't need to be, ang- like there was no anger to be had. It was a very innocent situation. And the parent just stews over it. Like even if it's the same day, they make up things in their mind And as the, you know, the hours go on, they just get so angry and it builds up in them. And then they shoot off a super angry email back because they feel attacked. Like I said earlier, they, they're taking it personally. They're feeling attacked. They are coming from their emotion, not from facts. And they just spew it all over you. Whereas had the phone call happened, they don't have that extra time to stew on what was said. They hear it in the moment. They can process it with you. You can hear, each person can hear the different sides of what is going on. They can hash it out at that moment. And then 
the situation can go away. So truly calling is the best option when you are discussing anything with parents. Also bringing them in. I mean, that's even more ultimately the best, but we know that in this time, especially, you know, pandemic time, it's very hard or if not impossible to get parents into the building. If they're interested, they can, you know, do things like Zoom and so you can see them and and build that relationship. But the next best would be the phone call. So to recap, we have to work with these parents for a minimum of one full school year. And for people like myself, you know, who's in a specialist position or like learning support, we may have these parents in our lives for multiple years. Or you might have their siblings later on. So in a few years, you have a sibling. And you want to make sure that these parent relationships are positive because you will have to deal with them for at least a year and it'll make your life so much easier if this relationship is a positive one. So when you're communicating with these parents, you wanna make sure that whatever you're saying about the student is kind of like what you would say about that parent to their face. Remember, they take what you say personally, so you want to say it in a kind manner as if you were talking about them to their face. You also only want to speak in facts and not emotions. Now, you know, you can include, I mean, if it's a positive emotion, if you are so insanely happy of something the child did, please share that emotion. But I'm talking more about those negative emotions. Um, the situation may make you super emotional and then that'll come out in your communication and then that makes the parent super emotional. But if you stick to the facts, then emotions are less likely to escalate on both sides. And when at all possible, call the parent. Any miscommunication can be squashed right then and there. The parent won't stew over something and, and misinterpret it. And then they won't contact you even angrier. Thanks so much for joining me today. I really am grateful for those of you that join me and listen. My whole purpose is to be here and help you improve and get through this teaching profession because I know it's taken a great deal of effort on my part to improve and make it so that I can be successful and I just want to be there for you. Um, so thank you for listening. It really means a lot to me. I want you to go ahead and find me at my website, amindfulteacher.com where you can find some freebie downloads, mostly for trauma-sensitive classrooms. Also, you can find me at my social media links. Um, join me because that's where I hang out. But I hope to talk to you next week when I'm talking about law of attraction. So this is where my little woo-woo-ness is going to come out and you're going to find out how woo-woo I am. Um, so I will see you again next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you're interested in more stuff from me, go ahead and join me on social media. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at A Mindful Teacher. You can also join my mailing list to be notified when new podcasts are released. Just head on over to my website at amindfulteacher.com. 